Can artificial intelligence 10x your business productivity? What will all the humans do at your company once AI invades? On this Screenbox podcast, we're going to look inside the nuts and bolts of AI for business productivity and process automation. Please like our podcast and subscribe to our channel to get notified when the next podcast is released. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Streaming box technology and business rundown. Is AI taking over the world? What will humans do? Welcome to the Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown podcast. In this podcast, I, Dave Erickson, and my honorable co-host, Botan Sedesh, are going to get programmed on AI with Jamar Garcia, Practice Director at Genus Technologies. Jamar has worked in the intelligent automation space for over 20 years, helping companies improve profitability while maintaining compliance. Genus Technologies is a highly collaborative systems integrator, solutions provider, and software reseller that maximizes IBM, Cofax, NuXEO, and proprietary software offerings for intelligent document automation, content services, and process transformation. So, Jamar, is AI really taking over the world? Yeah, I think we're, I think we're pretty far from it. Um, at least that's, that's my hope, that we're, that we're far from it. Um, you know, I think that, and it's interesting because maybe, Dave, even since we've st- first started talking about this, uh, this topic that so much has changed from just as far as the narrative goes. Mm-hmm. I think that we're seeing, you know, the technology is, is pretty remarkable for one, but I think that one of the things that we're finding, even as we, you know, like we're in the middle of 2023, you know, getting into the fall here, 2023, we're seeing a lot of issues around reliability, around consistency of AI. Um, and you know just like actual uptake so um you know i think it's we're we're still in the early days yet um of 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 ai but you know i i I don't think the world is in trouble anytime soon at least that's my hope that we're not in trouble anytime soon Mm -hmm. the biggest issue with ai is everybody has their own kind of uh, fantasy imagination vision of what ai is um some people think of it as just, you know, chat GPT and that's AI. Uh, and other people right. know that it can be many different things. Um, in the work that you're doing, what seems to be your focus with AI and particularly with content and with the solutions that you guys provide? Yeah, I think it really centers around productivity. Uh, it really centers around productivity of the worker and productivity of just like the company itself. And so a lot of what we're finding is that companies that structure business processes, so basically it's the core things that they do, how can they do them faster? How can they provide better customer experiences? How can they provide better experiences for their employees? Um, And I think that using technology in general, but using AI in specific, I think those are the main levers um, that companies, at least companies that um, what they should be doing is using those levers to think, you know, as a lens uh, to think about how they leverage AI. Anytime we talk about AI, I'm, I'm wondering how much uh, machine learning are we talking here? Because 
like 90% of the time what we call AI is machine learning. But I did see in some cases that we have some pretty nice, uh, well, learning and like uh, neural nets and such. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, sorry, absolutely. I'm just uh, saying a bunch of buzzwords, but... <laughs> For one, AI is not a new... Uh, not a new thing, right? I mean, oh, we've as a, we've been studying AI for many decades now, and you know, I think, and even uh, um, looking at how to design AI, you know, hardware, you know, to mimic the brain, right? Um, I think, oh, I forget, it might have been the the founder of the Palm Pilot that um, looked at AI and, in the sense of how can you structure the the how can you mimic the structure of the brain um, to, you know, to kind of get these structures. And that's maybe pretty much how like neural networks came, you know, kind of uh, came from that. And so for the most part, it, it, you know, machine learning is AI, right? And it is training and it is, you know, there is some inference based stuff in there as well. But I mean, when you think about humans, right? I mean, it's training as well. Um, and so there is, you know, there is a, a matter of learning. And so, when we think about AI in, in its practical sense, the training becomes important. And so when you think about, well, um, so let's, let's talk about public AI versus maybe a corporate behind the firewall AI. If you are implementing something that's trained on a public data set that you have no control over, that you have no knowledge about what goes in there, you kind of get what you get, right? And so I think what we're seeing is, well, that's, that's where we are today. And I think that's with, especially with OpenAI and, and when they came out, when, when ChatGPT really just hit the, you know, uh, hit the hype cycle, um, it was all about that, right? But I think that where companies are going now is how can I curate that? How can I make that something that is an internal AI, not even just from a data privacy perspective, but from a data quality perspective and a control perspective, right? How can I turn this onto our documents? How can I turn that onto our standard operating procedures and our own IP to create AI that is more useful, more controlled, more secure? Um, I think that's kind of where where we are heading toward. Um, I know there's, especially when we when we talk about um, uh, security, data security, um, that's that's going to be one of the biggest aspects of that, right? So I think that's that's kind of where we are. But yeah, the quality of training data is going to be huge, and and that's uh, and we're seeing that now that it, the reliability of this AI is so much in question that we need to understand why answers are coming up the way they are so that we can troubleshoot and figure out, you know, why, why is it wrong? Like, why is, why are, you know, why are we seeing degradation of chat GPT over the, you know, over several weeks and months? Um, and no one can really explain it because it's very opaque. You say that this is where we are headed, but uh, it also feels like this is where we came from. So, mm. I mean, AI has always been a thing behind closed doors, like it has almost been exclusively a thing behind closed doors and only now it's getting this massive popularity thanks to, well, OpenAI. Mm. But also mid-journey has been pretty significant, which is a different type of AI. That's more of an image AI. 
yeah, the multimodal stuff is, is pretty fascinating. And when you think about just, you know, content creation and, and you you know, your content creators, right. And when you think about content creation, it really kind of, you really kind of stick, take a step back and say, well, you know, who's, who's at risk. I know like, you know, I have a funny story. I went to, um, a, uh, um, conference, uh, a tech, a technology conference, big, big software developer. And so it's all about generative, right? And so I would say maybe 60%, 80%, or maybe 70% of the, 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 the people there were developers, right? And so they start, they start showing, um, um, hey, you can start adding a comment and it'll actually come out with the code block for you. And it's like all the developers were, were cheering. They're so, so excited about it. 10 minutes later, they start going into, well, we can also have a prompt that lets business users say, create a portal for me that does X, Y, and Z. And almost instantaneously, it built the portal. And then the room was silent because all the developers in the room realized, they're like, oh, this is also putting me at risk, right? And so I feel like that's where, I mean, con you know, creatives, and I would, I would put developers in that sense as well, we need to understand, well, what's our value add, right? How do we move up the chain, the value chain? Because AI is going to be here and it's going to continue to get better. And we just need to, we just need to unfortunately kind of outpace it and really understand, well, what's our personal value add into the situation, whether it's being able to ask the right questions, whether it's even just that human experience that like you're, you're coaching and bringing someone through the process, right? That that's, that's value, right? And I feel like we just need to understand what that is. I've used a bunch of these AI systems for content creation as well as other business aspects. They advertise themselves as something where anybody can just step in and start using it and being super productive. That's really not the case. They really need to understand how to apply the tool, how to use the tool. Some of them are fairly complex. Even though it's simple questions, you got to be prepared to, to have the right information to provide them. Um, even something as simple as like a chatbot, uh, you know, yeah. the, the chatbot is starting to, people are starting to understand the difference between public data set and private data set. Because a lot of these AI chatbot setups now are like, well, give us your information. Uh, we're going to scrape your website. Uh, give us your FAQs. Uh, give us any documents or blog posts you have. And then when the chatbot starts working off of that data set and people ask it questions, the answers are very clunky and very limited mm -hmm. because the data set technically is so small, right? And so, and, and so people are like, well, why doesn't this chatbot seem as intelligent as ChatGPT, even though the chatbot is using ChatGPT, usually the API mm -hmm. to do it, it's the data set, right? And so I, I think that the, the future of, of this is going to be something where ChatGPT can use a curated data set that is provided for it. And for the linguistic side, go out to more of a public data set to pull in some of the fluency or some of the filler that makes it, you know, make the responses a little bit more human or elegant, right? Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that because at a base level, right, you'd like the language piece is the language piece, but it's all about that 
expert knowledge and how far do you want to push that expert knowledge? Right. And I think that, you know, in a lot of industries we're seeing, you know, just a demographic um, crunch, right? Baby boomers are retiring. So a lot of institutional knowledge is, is going, you know, going by the wayside. So there's urgency there. Um, and so, we're, you know, I think that um, in, in, in industries like, I mean, insurance was a great example of one of those where just like the average age has increased dramatically over, over the last decade that, you know, how do we capture that institutional knowledge and, and make um, technology more um, useful, right, in that expert knowledge? And I, yeah, we haven't solved it yet. We're, we're definitely still, still, you know, that's still an open problem. I can't help but wonder when, when will this revolution do to programmers what uh, the industrial revolution has done to farming, right? Because now there's like maybe one to ten people in the farm with these huge, extremely expensive machines that do all the work that was previously done by thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. And I do wonder if we are headed for the future where there is one programmer with a server farm, right? That is just cranking out projects. That's a, that's a really interesting thought there. You know, there's, and I think about the raw material as well, right? For AI, I mean, chips as an example, right? It's not free. <laughs> and I think we're actually seeing it now where there is a little bit of a crunch. I mean, if you try to, if you try to, you know, reserve a, you know, how many GPUs on AWS, it's, it's not instantaneous, right? There's still physical material that's needed to build these chipsets. And, and I don't know, maybe, you know, it be, we, we add, you know, there's, we, we get past GPUs and, you know, there's always the quantum question out there, but, you know, I think that there's, that is interesting in the sense that, you know, we've got, you know, there might be some, Maybe it's it's a there's some limiting factors as far as raw material, um, but and, and also the electricity. I, I mean, absolutely, AI sucks a lot of power almost as much as Bitcoin mining, right? I mean, yeah, it's all GPU processing. Yep. Absolutely, yep. Now that makes that makes perfect sense. So we're we're, we're pushing the envelope for sure, um, but I think that the you know the the scaling of that is is probably um you know that's not too probably not too far off of what, what how to think of that right um programmers just that know the 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 real basic um techniques like any craft right like there's there will always be technology that 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 replaces and that makes that kind of outdated Right. And maybe we're just at a point where that becomes, that's just a lot faster now. We just, I, I just, it just feels like, except for Python. I mean, Python just seems to stay, <laughs> stay there the whole time. Um, it just seems like things just become, you know, obsolete pretty quick. And I don't know, and maybe the, the, the strategy there, this is kind of for tech, just like technology vendors as well. Why has Python kind of maintained its, its, you know, dominance over, you know, like, let's say number of people who have adopted it. I think the openness and the, the, the accessibility and that whole culture has kept it relevant. Right. And so I feel like, uh, you know, if you were with the exception, maybe Apple, 
uh, you know, if you're open, you know, that, that just gives you better chance of kind of continuing to be a, a going concern and, and relevant as we kind of continue on, right, from a technology perspective. I, I think Botan's analogy of the farm and with AI in terms of programming and development, I think is spot on in the sense that, you know, uh, a lot of the AI is about productivity, right? You know, people seem to forget they use ChatGPT and the responses that come back to their questions sounds like they're talking to a human. But the reality is AI does not think. It, it is not a conscious being. It is not uh, creative in that sense. It's great at collecting data and organizing and presenting the data in a way that seems somewhat familiar, useful, and productive. But it's not very creative, and it and it doesn't know a lot of context and the context it does know is very limited to what the data sets are, right? So, you know, I do think that, that the value of a developer is not that he can code. I think the value of a developer is that he understands the mechanics of how software works. And so when a, a, a business comes to them and says, I have this business challenge, and the developer is like, well, I can solve that challenge. Now, the legwork of actually doing the coding has its value, but really the value is that the developer thinks through the process and thinks through, okay, if I'm going to code this, it's got to be, it needs these components and the database has to be structured like this. And the thought process of making it, I think that AI is a generative tool to generate code I think it'll just allow developers to just do a lot more projects and a lot more work. Yeah. And it, it becomes not what can we do, but what should we do? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's where in general, I mean, humans and, and, and knowledge workers, we need to think about that more, right. And, and, and move up in that level of understanding and say in the business context, what should we do? Right. And not just to say, yeah, we, you know, this is like how we design it, but now you start to move into, well, how's this going to affect, um, you know, performance, how's this going to affect actual customer experience and then really spending the time that you would, you would have otherwise spent pounding the keyboard, um, sp spend that time unpacking those higher level problems. Unpacking those higher level problems really is the, <laughs> the prime differentiator between good development and terrible development. Like, I think that's, that's the main thing, right? Um, if someone says that they want an app to take pictures of birds, right? Like, they might just mean that they want Instagram, or they might mean that they want an application, which, uh, automatically uh, takes a picture with metadata telling you exactly which bird it is with what percentage of certainty. And unless someone is there to decide that hey, that's what they actually want, that's what the business actually needs. Well, I mean, another way to think of this is why does someone paint a painting? Right. And it's, it's, it, could be could be to to make money. It, it could be to to fit a market. It could just very well be 
to get something out. Right. And from a creative perspective, it's, it's like for them and, and maybe software development gets to that point where, um, you produce what you feel like you need to get out and then your market finds you. Um, just that's the whole democratizing of programming, um, that the internet has, has, has delivered for us. Right. And maybe, maybe we get just that, that becomes, that just continues to push in that direction because the cost of development becomes so much lower, right. With AI. I, I mean, even with AI and development, you know, how many login, uh, screens are there in the world? Maybe a billion, right? Um, and AI is going out and looking at all these login screens and you say to it, hey, I need a login screen. It's got such a huge data set that yes, it can produce a well-written login screen for you. But is that really valuable? I, I mean, does do you need to pay a developer to hand code it or is it just fine to take any login screen and change the color or whatever you wanna do? It's more the complex stuff. Like how do you organize data? How do you, what data is important to find? How do you interpret what somebody says is the data they need? And so I think the, the challenge or a challenge of AI or the application of AI is really going to be in this kind of organizing of data, organizing. I mean, we have so many companies with huge inventories of documents and data sets that need to be digitized, but also understood. And humans, you would need tens of thousands of humans to do that work, whereas AI may be able to do it with a longer time, but with fewer humans, you're still going to need people directing that. But what do you see as kind of this future of AI and the organization of data sets and documentation? You know, it's interesting. I feel like one of the big use cases that I think, I feel like we're close is in understanding of contracts. It's, it's a humans, except for, except if you have a law degree for the most part are just not compatible with contracts. Right. And just the legal writing and kind of the whole, like the length of the structure and all of that. Right. So it's like, what does this really say? Like, yeah, try to read what, Facebook. You, love. you know, what am I? Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I feel like this is, um, and you know, we've talked to several customers where, you know, part of their job is, um, you know, let's say they're, they're bringing on a new, um, let's say they're, uh, they have financial products and they are trying to bring on a new customer. And so they, you know, they have their uh, prospect come in and say, well, here are the agreements that I currently have with my current provider. Can you match these? And it's like, okay, let's go peruse all of the different contracts and figure out what is it that you have entitled to you. That's a pain. And, and, and we've, we've been talking with our customers years, right. To turn that around or not several years, but let's say that from front to back, it's like a year long process just because of parsing and the go back, going back and forth. So I feel like that process can really get shortened and, and we're seeing that to be a huge value add, right? So it's like you put into, you put in a contract and say, well, what are the T's and C's or terms and conditions in, in a very, you know, um, human, uh, uh, nor like what, what would a normal person say that this is, that's in this contract. And so it's, it's, it's the understanding and it's the, 
um, presenting that to a knowledge worker so that they can make a decision on it, right? And so I feel like that's probably one of the, um, probably the most short-term critical, um, you know, like where there's a lot of value add and in that organizing of content and understanding of content. Uh, maybe not fully automating it in the sense of, okay, we're going to put in a contract and you go and spit out a new contract, right? Maybe that's not where it is, but it's really, how can you get to understanding mm -hmm. so that a human can make a better decision faster? I think that's like, let's, let's do that. That's, that's a short term, you know, achievable thing. That would be next level. If instead of signing a end user license agreements, it would just be a chatbot, like, uh... Hey, uh, do I own my own data? <laughs> it would be like, nope. <laughs> or yeah. like, uh, do I have the right to request my data to be deleted? It would be like, nope. <laughs> in that case, I would be like, uh, okay, then I'll find another social media page. It's right. I, I mean, the chatbot would only or, need to know one word. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or even even you put in the 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 laws in your state. Right. Oh, that would be crazy. Yeah. What? That's that's. What crazy. am I really under? What's really? What am I really? You know, um, uh, <laughs> under contract for as a as a uh, as a resident of this state, right? And and uh, when when our lawmakers go and say, here's what we're gonna throw. You know, here's what we're voting on, and we haven't had the seventy two hours to review it. What's really in this? bill that we're putting out there and really having that visibility. I think there's, I mean, huge opportunity for us to, as a, you know, uh, as a populist to, to, to get a better understanding of that, right. And hold our representatives accountable. Yeah. That's where that kind of, uh, that mix between public data and private, if you were to set up a, a website or a chat bot or a website with a chat bot or a chat bot website that was focused on the California state statutes right if somebody asked a question what they would get back is literally the legalese about their question which is not really what they're looking for so the the chatbot would need access to a large base of english language that it could you know take the data from the statutes and rewrite it in a way that is more understandable and human right and then present that uh, I, I think that's a very good example of where that technology is going to need to go, right? And you know who may have that data, actually? The email providers for the biggest law firms, because they surely get hundreds and thousands and millions of questions like, am I allowed to do this here? And they probably have to reply in somewhat understandable language instead of legalese. Right, so that that could be a data set for such an AI. Yeah, corporate corporate email has a lot of conversations about the business of a company. You know, it, it starts getting into some really interesting privacy and data questions. But if a company was trying to basically collect up its data set so that it could develop productivity tools and client interfacing tools emails people's emails exchange would be part of that uh, but then there's a question of what are the replies and are they part of that data set and so there, there's some real 
compliance and I think legal questions that companies are going to have to address when it comes to putting together data sets. Have you started seeing that already? So didn't Zoom just update their terms and conditions that basically like every every meeting that you're a part of is part of their data, their data set? I mean, <laughs> how insane is that? Right? I mean, that's, I mean, that, that probably, I don't know. I saw some, said some headline in, in LinkedIn, like maybe even just like the last week, right? How insane is that? And you know, how, how is that going to fly? Right? So I think that's, I mean, we're, we're, if there's anything that we know is that data is the gold, right? Data is the, is the thing. And, and, you know, uh, we need to, companies need to strategize about how they, and I think they have been, they know it's like, okay, we need to be very data focused, but I think that's going to be even more so with this AI push. But, but also, I mean, you almost have to look at it in a defensive way, yeah. right? How, how do you, how do you protect what you've got? Like, I'm right? sure the CIA is like, okay, guys, everybody use Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think that we're seeing, um, so in, in some of the areas where we're playing with um, um, AI models is is to ensure that for our customers that, that it's on-prem. And it seems kind of like, oh, well, why on-prem? Like, it's all about the cloud. Well, I mean, that pendulum, I think, is swinging back, right? And so it's... it's um, uh, we want, it's all about optionality, right? So we could put it into, you know, a public infrastructure as a service provider, but also we could keep it behind the firewall, right? So it's how do we, um, how do we create those options for us? And so like the whole on-prem aspect is, uh, people have thought, you know, this is post on-prem, you know, we're in that sort of, uh, uh, regime, but no, I think we're, it's not always going to be all public cloud, yeah. you know? So I think that, that that's definitely a, a part of the conversation. Right. But in, in general, it already is like, there, there's always going to be some outliers statistically who, who will need on-prem, but at the end of the day, all of this infrastructure is maintained by humans and humans are lazy. So they will go through the path of least resistance, which is mm -hmm. clouds. I mean, in no, in no small parts, because on-prem is intentionally made more difficult. <laughs> like, I, I'm sure all of us have encountered this when we try to set up something super simple on even our own PC, and it takes like 10 hours. Whereas on the websites, it's as easy as, uh, do you want to log in with Facebook, Google, or uh, with your own email? Like, and it works. You know, cloud offers some advantages because those cloud infrastructures are very large and they have enough revenue passing through them that they can update them very quickly and they're always being maintained. Whereas on-premises servers, development uh, houses, uh, infrastructure, you're responsible for maintaining them and you may not have the resources to maintain them well or you'll maintain them at a certain level that you can afford. On the other hand, uh, on-premises uh, infrastructure, it does allow a lot more security. Uh, I, I mean, if you maintain it correctly, and it does allow you know, for data security. Uh, but then again, you also don't get access to other people's data that may be useful. So there, there, I guess there's some pluses and minuses for it all.
but I do agree with you, uh, Jamar, that that on site is is coming back a little bit. That companies are thinking about what data to stick on site and what tools and stuff to use on site. But I think it's going to be a hybrid approach. That there's going to be some of it that's in the cloud, some of it that's on premises, and that balance that that's really not decided at this point. I think one interesting thing to think about is as we all are now a hybrid work sort of situation, what does that do to commercial real estate? Actually, does that provide more costly or not as costly to, to build out uh, data centers again, mm -hmm. right? And so could you um, have physical data centers and then have that be, you know, sort of your own private, private cloud because real, you know, corporate real estate is now maybe less expensive. I mean, I feel like private cloud is, is coming back in a big way. Like, even now you can buy, I mean, I wish they would sponsor us, but <laughs> Ubiquity, right? They have their private uh, cloud for cameras, for network attached storage, for uh, access control, for electronic locks, for everything, basically. And I do think there is a severe lack of options in this space. Like, mm-hmm. Can we even think about any competitors in this space? It's funny. I remember back <laughs> when, maybe dating myself a little bit, but I remember when you know I had friends that would go and stand up their Counter Strike server, right? They'd go and like go find find a local a local data center, and like they'd bring their own like you know one U two U whatever the, the the rack and go yes. and he had this and would bring it over, install it in there, uh, and you know he has his. He's now, uh, you know, running a, a Counter Strike server, and maybe those those days are are coming back, right? I mean, I think, you know, um, maybe even just from a gaming perspective, that might be uh, uh, not too far off, right? Just given where I think now gaming culture is is just so pervasive. Yeah. Um, so that might be <laughs> that might be a that might be a thing. A lot of these tools and a lot of the things that are coming up in AI really are at this this kind of concept of productivity. And although a lot of people interpret it as they're going to replace my job, again, the real value is that of the person who is directing the AI or the productivity tools. That's how they give productivity, right? And so it allows for companies to scale without as much cost to scaling, which allows them to use their money to grow, right? Where do you see AI and productivity going? And do you have kind of some examples of how people or companies are using AI to really increase their productivity twofold or even 3x their productivity? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think especially in the... In the um, the realm where I deal with is in documents uh, where in order for a company to automate its, its business process, it needs to have clean and actionable data, right? And so a lot of that, if it's, if you have unstructured content or documents like a contract or, you know, even invoices and things like that, that are PDFs, it doesn't even have to be paper. You need to do data entry, data cleanly, you know, data cleaning and things like that. And so that, even though we've been doing that 
for decades, right? We've been doing that for a long time. It's still a problem. And actually we generate so many documents now, we continue to generate so much unstructured content that it continues to be a, a, an issue. And, and we've kind of seen a resurgence in the whole, what, what's called the intelligent document processing space because of that. And so I think that's an area because the data entry uh, function is pretty low value, right? And, and I feel like that's an area where you can really cut down that, the cost and cut down the cycle time. Interestingly, though, we're at a demographic sort of place in the world now where we're just having less and less people that are, you know, like working age, right? So can we take those people that are doing low value data entry and put them into higher value analytical knowledge work? I think that's the strategy for companies and has been and continues to be. And it becomes way more important now, especially with baby boomers retiring in mass. Right. And so I think that that's, that's a playbook that has, that continues to be relevant. And so just, you know, put that in your strategy because that's absolutely what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of what happens during the industrial revolution, like what people consider low value job today may have been high value back in those days. Mm -hmm. And we may be on the precipice of such a shift as you say, Jumar. I'm, I'm quite certain we are reasonably close, like a few generations off, maybe, at most. Yeah, and I think, I mean, what's crazy is that the, the, the speed of change feels like it's accelerating, right? So we're even, the, we're the... As it does. It's not even that, it is. that things are changing, but the, the rate of change is accelerating. And so that that's something that is, um, it is unnerving, uh, a little stressful, uh, but I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm an ever optimist, right? And kind of, uh, I look at it as an opportunity as, as you know, for us to really, um, really define what it means to, 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 to work. Um, what it means to be human, what it means to be creative, right? And if if tools are free, what it means to be productive. What it means to be productive, absolutely. And and um, uh, taking that and finding fulfillment in what we do as in our jobs, right? Um, there's there's going to be pushback back and forth with 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 business and individuals and. And frankly, we're at a point where there's so much power for individuals to create the jobs that they want and create the situations that they want, even working wherever you want to work, that how can you not be optimistic? Um, I think that that's the way I like to look at it. Um, and and uh, I know there's a lot of different, you know, people think of it in lots of different ways, but I feel like this, this gives us a lot of options and a lot of power. We're still kind of stuck in the old world a lot of our definitions about what is work uh, right 40 hours a week monday through friday these are concepts that fit and worked 30 40 years ago right now we're trying to bump up against that right and you have companies saying you must come back to work because they got a building they got to fill and they're paying rent on it. So got to fill it up. Make, you know, they're not thinking about what's best for the business or the, the, the people, right? You know, they're looking at some numbers on a spreadsheet and saying, Hey, we need to fill it. We have a building, fill it up. 
right? And I, I think people are starting to really question that and productivity and AI are going to stress that, that, that kind of situation even more, right? If I'm a, a person and I can use, you know, five AI tools to do the work of 10 people, but you need me to do that, then the 10 people you would have hired, they can also do the same thing. So you, they can now help other businesses. And so this scaling and trying to make it all fit into the old style box, I think is really being challenged now. Um, and I think companies need to really address that issue. I, I totally agree. And actually, I think that there's, you know, there's a place in the middle because I, I actually love working in an office. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, you know, I started, I started working at Genius about nine months ago. I had my own practice for 10 years and, and, and they bought my practice and now I'm, you know, the practice director there. And they're based in Minneapolis or we're based in Minneapolis or, you know, but we have people that are remote, but I've been traveling there like once a month for, for the last nine months for the most part. And I love going on site. I love being at the office because it's you, you, even though we can be on calls like this, there's nothing that replaces human interaction and human connection. Not absolutely nothing that replaces that. So one strategy to think about is, well, how can we get the best of both, right? How can we have, the remote, but also get that human interaction, right? And maybe it's, you have pods of workers that are, you know, like functionally focused that are, you know, this is our, our pod in SoCal, this is our pod in Minneapolis, this is our pod in, you know, in, in Denver. And they get to meet each other at a convenient location where they all can get there and it's easy. And they don't go there every day, but when they, when they have to do really, you know, deep work, they can get together and do the deep work. No one's really at, we're not like businesses aren't at that point yet. And I think that's where we need to be because we can't be all everyone be at the office because it's just traffic sucks, but also working remotely, you're missing something, right? So where can we get the best of both? And like back to, and I think companies that really want to be best of breed and, and, and best in class, they're going to, they're going to need to adjust, right? That's why I'm optimistic about the small businesses, right? Because, you know, you can be nimble and make that, um, uh, you know, make that choice. But I, I do think that the human, like, how can you get the most out of the people and be that human centered, you know, company for sure? Yeah, I, I think AI is a real boon to small business because, you know, it allows a small business with almost zero resources one or two people and very small amounts of money to be able to do a lot of things that used to take 10 people to do, right? And so for small business, it definitely is going to have a huge impact. I think as the businesses grow and get bigger or start you know, looking at different sizes, AI is going to have different impacts. And, and I agree with you on workers coming together um, you know, my wife is like you, she prefers being in the office, right? She likes meeting people. She loves that interaction. On the other hand, she really liked the productivity of working at home where she isn't bothered by a lot of people and she can really focus on getting the work done. And I think that's kind of where the corporate 
AI strategy is going to have to kind of kick in is allowing these people the ability to have an AI assistant do that work so they can focus on the real work, which is relationship and communication. And so instead of needing three hours to work on this presentation, they only need five minutes to tell the AI what it really needs. And then it does the work and kicks out the presentation. I have a feeling that may be where, for larger corporations, where some of the AI may be going, or the AI strategy. I'm, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. It's almost like what Steve Jobs would say: the you know, computing being the bicycle of the mind. It, it's like it's now you've got <laughs> now you've got a car, or you got something a lot faster than or, you know, a motorcycle. Well, what's interesting? So thinking about uh, that, but also just technology companies that are just technology focused and not business focused. I think that what AI gives you, and th th there's a risk there, it, it makes technology more accessible for business-minded folks. So if you are a technology company that doesn't have a business focus or a business approach, you are at risk because business, the, the businesses themselves are turning into technology companies. Right. So it's not like so. So they can they can now add that capability where otherwise they would have had to have gone to a software development house. Right. It's like now I don't need to go to a software development house. I could bring that in house. And so that's where, you know, um, if you're if you're a technology company that has no you have to move, you have to change, you have to evolve to have to be able to bring that business value, be consultative have business problem solves that goes that go along with your technology solves with ai it's going to have a profound effect on education not just how it's yeah. going to impact the the art of teaching and education but what is taught right and the 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 skills that people who are going through high school and university are going to need to work with AI and to understand how it can be used for productivity. How is that going to be changing over the next couple of years? Wow. I mean, that, that is, so I have, I have young kids, um, 13 and eight and they're, so we're right in the middle of this. Yep. And actually I just, I was just talking to my wife and she was saying she was, she was, she had, um, coffee with a friend who, um, whose son is just starting at a, um, uh, university. So freshman, right. And he's frustrated because the papers that he's submitting are being graded by AI. So no, no professor feedback. It's just like, they're just, you know, they're being graded by AI. And, and my, my initial reaction was like, that's horrible. Right. Because it's just like, wait, graded by like, AI? where's the value there? What's that? Graded. By AI? Graded by AI. So it's not even that. AI. So the so the human <laughs> is created and is being graded by AI. And so it's like, so one, it's like we're okay, so that, why is that even useful? And so I think that, you know, we're right, we're on the bleeding edge, right? So okay, that's the that's V1 <laughs> or beta, and it kind of sucks. We're gonna get along and, and it, we're gonna progress and maybe when my daughter gets to college, it's gonna be better. And when my youngest daughter gets to college, it'll be so much better than it is today. Um, yeah, the funny, so, the funny you know, thing is, is you're gonna have students having AI writing their papers and then AI is gonna be grading those papers. <laughs>
It's like, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, you know, must be going on somewhere already. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think we're, I think we're there uh, for sure. So, but the question about what's being taught, you know, it's, it almost goes back to the classics, right? And it's like, you go back to, um, you, you know, uh, not wrote memorization and not facts and figures, but about, um, rationalization and problem solving and being a better person and, and building up that, you know, your character. I think that's going to be uh, more of the emphasis because yeah, we can, um, we can all Google something where we can all like recall facts and figures with just doing a search and that's just going to be less important. Um, but the hope is that we move <laughs> into that direction and that we, and, and as parents think about, well, let's just, let's make sure that that's what our kids are learning. Right. Uh, you know, and I think that universities, I think are at risk. Um, you know, I think we, you know, that's, that's, um, the trajectory there is, 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 is clear. Right. And so, you know, I think that that's going to be an issue, but, you know, for learners, it's going to come down to really redefining why are you learning that, um, the job that you are probably going to have when you graduate college doesn't exist today. So what are you, what are you training for? Right. So the, the curriculum is, is going to have to change. I, I mean, I know you were involved in university, of California, Irvine. My mom graduated from the university of California, Irvine, I think class is 67 or something like that. Nice. Not, not, not. Yeah. And, my wife graduated UCI and my daughter okay. would like to go to UCI. But the question is, if she goes to UCI, what is she going to be learning? Right. And it's almost like they need a, a degree. The degrees are going to, I think, go away from things like, you know, business administration and they should have a degree that's like problem solving and problem solving applications right? That would be a useful degree because then it's about using tools to solve problems. And I, I don't know if the, the education system is able to make changes like that right now. What do, what do you think? Or are you seeing something in, in where they're recognizing this? This might differ between blue collar and, and white collar, right? Because blue collar knowledge is on an absolute crunch. Right. It's like generationally, our parents are like, we want you to, to be the doctors. We want you to be the lawyers, right? Like, we don't want you to, we don't want you to work as hard as we did being machinists and, and working in, you know, like blue collar work. We can't get people to fix our machines now. Right. Right. Yep. So I feel like, yep. So, so, so that might be actually a different story, right? So like from an education perspective, being an actual someone who could work with your hands, there's so much value in that now. Like maybe I should just, you know, turn in my computer science degree and go and, and do, you know, like woodwork and I'd probably make more money than I do now. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to buy a multi-million if you want to buy a multi-million dollar home in the area we live in, you need to be a plumber. <laughs> exactly. Right. If you're a doctor, man, you, exactly. you don't make enough money. You need to be a plumber. Right. <laughs> that's no, that's true. So, I mean, I think that uh, I, I think we're still um, 
the education system, and I, I'm not going to, I'm not an expert in the education system by any means. So really, it's like um, I'm a, you know, I, 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 I'm a uh, an alumni volunteer and, uh, with with UCI, and so you know we're there for engagement. So I I won't I won't pretend to say that I know what they need to do, but I do know that something's got to change because as a parent, I know that what what my kids are getting is not what they need, right? And so um, uh, my hope is that I can help steer them in a way that is where they're they're fulfilled and they position themselves in a way that. I, at least I believe they'll be able to uh, uh, to thrive when they're adults, um, and I think every parent needs you know it makes that decision for their kids as much as they can, and so whether the education system participates in that is something you know to be seen, right? I mean, you said that some people might may hand in their CS degree and just go get a blue collar job. That's honestly something I did in the past, and the the funny thing is, it was so much less stress, so much more uh, joy, and just uh, so much uh, more feeling like an actual human being. <laughs> I, I love working in my, I love working in my garden. And, and, and like, and I don't have a big one. So, and, and it, so it's, so, so I can say that because it's easy, right? Like I, I, I maybe like a, month six weeks ago or so i i had to cut back the cut back the weeds and trim the hedges and things like that and just being outside and enjoying nature and enjoying what the world has to offer and just even being curious and just you know um having wonder about what what nature is there's something to that absolutely right and and being keyboard jockeys that we are like you know we it'd be good for us to, you know, kind of continue on like that. But yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. In your opinion, what is the future of AI? I would say that the future of AI is, is, is where individuals can truly create and make and create value in the sense that they can be self-sufficient. So that, and, and, and very much like the promise of, you know, democratization of data and, and, and tools and computing, where if I were an individual and I knew how to code and I knew how to, to, to problem solve, that I can create a career for myself as an individual. And, and I, you know, I did that for 10 years and it was, it was great because I could be here for my kids and, um, and, and, and have to make good money at it as well. And so, um, I would, I would, I believe that AI go, continues in that trajectory, that it, it becomes an, uh, uh, a tool that allows us to be more productive and allows us to continue to um, in, be introspective, gives us the time to be introspective about what it means to be a human and make that a better experience. Jamar, thank you so much for this great discussion on AI and his business applications and for content and processes. Well, that's about all the time for this episode today. But before you go, I want you to think about this important question. How are you going to apply AI in your business processes? For our listeners, please subscribe and click the notifications to join us for our next Screenbox Technology and Business Rundown podcast. Until then, automate. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. 
Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. <laughs>